Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews with your host, Aaron Martell. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell, and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where I talk about and review a rock album of my choice. Today I'm flying solo, no co-pilots, but if you're listening and you're interested in coming on the show to review an album with me, I'm always on the lookout for co-pilots to host a podcast with me. There are a few ways to get in touch with me, which I'll go over at the end of the show. So on this episode, I'm going to yap about television's 1977 debut album, Marquee Moon. I admit I'd never heard of television until the early 90s when I got my Rolling Stone record guide book that had this album rated very highly, and the description of it got me interested. The review of it said it was a guitar album, and it emphasized the interplay between the two guitarists. And if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know what a sucker I am for good guitar interplay. I picked up the CD of this probably around 1996 or so, and it took a few listens for me to catch on, but once it clicked, I could see why the book had this record held in high regard. It ended up making a believer of me, and I became a television fan. So here's some basic facts about this record, and if you've got a problem with me, you got a problem with Wikipedia. Marky Moon is the debut studio album by American rock band Television, released on February 8, 1977, on Elektra Records. It was produced by Andy Johns and Tom Verlaine, and was recorded in September 1976 at A&R Recording, New York City. It reached number 28 on the British Albums Chart. And here's the band's lineup card. We've got... Tom Verlaine on lead vocals, guitar, and keyboards. Richard Lloyd on guitar and vocals. Fred Smith on bass guitar and vocals. And Billy Ficka on the drums. Now I'm going to get into a track-by-track analysis of this album. The first track is See No Evil, written by Tom Verlaine. Right away, we hear what television's all about. One guitar playing a basic musical motif or chordal structure, a second guitar playing a complementary yet distinct counter melody, a loose style of drumming that never loses the beat, and a bass line that stays in the pocket and holds everything together but doesn't fall into simplistic root note thumping. The guitars are clean for the most part with very little distortion. You can clearly hear what each player is bringing to the table. And with the rhythm section, this music grooves, it swings, it sounds almost jazzy. Along with that, the production overall is fairly bright and you can pick out each instrument with little difficulty. Richard Lloyd takes a solo on this cut and his soloing is more precise, thought out, constructed, but it sounds fucking sweet. He also painstakingly double-tracked his solos to thicken them and give them more impact, and he busted his ass getting the parts just right. Then there's the matter of the lyrics and vocals. 
I'm not even going to pretend I understand Tom Verlaine's lyrics. They're full of puns and double entendres and confusing wordplay that seems to fit together to evoke a feeling or mood as far as I can tell. To me, it seems that the narrator can understand the mindset of someone society would call evil as more attention-seeking and wish-fulfillment, and he sympathizes with these destructive urges. Therefore, he doesn't perceive that type of person as necessarily evil as he can see himself in them. And now I gotta talk about Tom's vocals, and holy fuck nugget, they are an acquired taste. His voice is high, throaty, and downright grating at times, almost whiny. He sounds like a cat that got its tail caught under a rocking chair. It did take me a bit to settle into the sound of Tom's voice, but once I did, it got easier, and now I can say I even dig that cringe-worthy cater wall. There's even a pop sensibility to this track, and I dig the chorus. I see, I see no, I see no either! Weird. As an opening track, this song sets the stage for what's to come. Let's dig in. The next track is Venus, written by Tom Verlaine. fucking love this track. It starts with a catchy guitar melody that's also found in the song's chorus, and then leads to a drum breakdown section with jingling guitars that reappears throughout the track and resets the verses. Billy Ficka on drums is a standout on this, playing different stylistic beats while knowing when to lay down a busier passage or lay off and let the guitars do their thing. The guitars have a ringing quality to them, and Richard in particular plays ascending and descending melodic licks all over the place that dominate the sound. Tom plays the lead on this one, and his style is the polar opposite from Richard's. He's more abstract, free-form, doesn't play the same thing twice. You'd think these wildly different styles of guitar playing would clash and sound awful, but they've got it worked out so precisely that it always sounds unique and interesting and fucking awesome. I read that the lyrics are inspired by Richard Hell, television's original bassist who left the band after conflict with the members about his onstage antics and his defiantly non-technical approach to songwriting. At first, the lyrics are brighter and positive, and as the song progresses, they become more negative, and by the time Richie is gone, Tom's okay about it. I love the call-and-response aspect of the chorus. How I felt? Did you feel low? Nah. Huh? Tom's friends are surprised that he's fine with the situation. This is one of my favorite tracks on the record. The following track is Friction, written by Tom Verlaine. Where silence spreads This one opens with Richard playing an octave note line, and then the rest of the band plows in with Tom playing descending scales and using harmonics to create a dissonant countermelody, very reminiscent of the song title, as the two guitars seem to be generating noisy friction between them. 
the rhythm section holds it down while Tom solos in his carefree, cacophonous fashion. It's not quite noise rock, but it definitely comes across as a forerunner to the kinds of stuff bands like Sonic Youth would tap into. I'm lost with the lyrics on this one. Though the words are evocative and Tom delivers them with a snotty flair. Lines like, you complain of my diction and F-R-I-C-T-I-O-N could seem dumb or silly, but Tom somehow is able to pull it off. The best interpretation I can give these lyrics is that there seems to be something shady happening that the narrator is involved in, but fuck the final, really. This track is a great showcase for the Tom Verlaine school of guitar playing, and I dig, man. The next track is the title track, Marquee Moon, written by Tom Verlaine. This is an incredible track. The first thing you hear is a simple twice-strummed riff that will be a foundation of the verses. Then the second guitar adds a trilling, fluttering element that almost doesn't seem to fit with the first guitar. And then the bass comes in on its own time, and it just sounds off, like they're not playing it right. It takes the drums to bring everything in focus, and you suddenly realize, holy shit, all the instruments are weaving with each other. It's an amazing feat. And then Tom sings the first verse, and we get to the pre-chorus breakdown that leads to the chorus, another oddly structured section with heavy emphasis on the busy drums that doesn't sound like it should work at all, and yet somehow it does. Then there's a pause, and it begins again through the whole process, and after the second chorus, Richard gets his solo. It's short, but he makes the most of it, making a couple of quick runs before the song resets to the third verse. This time, after the third verse, Tom takes his solo, and it's considerably longer than Richard's. He's allowed to stretch out and explore the space. In a lot of ways, it makes me think of a less distorted Neil Young solo. He's not applying music theory. He's not thinking about what he's playing. He's going on feel, on instinct. As the solo goes along, Tom plays a lick that he latches onto, repeating it over and over while ascending in the scale. And then the second guitar joins in, both guitars locking together, playing that motif, climbing higher until the bass gloms on, and the entire band plays in unison. Ascending the scale, building tension, climbing up, up. They keep going. They're heading into the stratosphere. The tension's strangling me. What the fuck are they doing? I'm going to lose my They release it, and it feels so freaking good. The guitars play these high cascading notes that almost sound like rain dripping away with the cymbal washes, and they take their time with the come down. Another brief pause, and then Billy's drums play the beat. It's coming back. Fred Smith's bass returns, and then you're pulled back into the final verse, final pre-chorus, and finish with no final chorus. It doesn't need it. Phew, what a journey. Oh yeah, there's lyrics in this track too, and I don't have a clue what they mean, but they're cool as shit. There's quite a bit of dark imagery, things like the darkness doubled, lightning struck itself, a kiss of death, the embrace of life, the Cadillac pulled out of the graveyard. 
I get the sense that it's about life itself, that you need to find the balance between the light and the dark to be fulfilled and less fearful. But seriously, these lyrics mostly have me baffled. In a good way. This is my favorite track on the album, and one of my favorite tracks, period. It's also over 10 minutes long, but it doesn't feel like it. I've heard it said that it's the fastest 10-minute song you'll ever hear. Maybe it is. Believe it or not, despite its length, this was the album's first single, and it reached number 30 in the UK singles chart. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Elevation, written by Tom Verlaine. first guitar plays a single choppy chord over and over in a one, one-two pattern, while the bass kind of lazily drifts in and wanders a bit, and then the second guitar comes in with a quick note run that's matched together with hi-hat flourishes. They're in sync. Then the full track kicks in the way television does, turning it into a subdued groove that as a whole sounds so good while you can still pick out what each instrument is individually doing, and you wonder how the fuck they're doing it. The drums in particular stand out as Billy does some great hi-hat work throughout the track and his toms in the chorus punctuate the ascending bass and guitars. Richard gets the solo this time and as usual he makes the most of the spotlight, playing cool, double-tracked, melodic runs. Okay, this time you really got me stumped with these lyrics. I have no idea what the fuck they mean. But apparently Tom sleeps light on these shores and I do like the elevation, don't go to my head chorus, which is the best part of the song for me. It's another winner. The following track is Guiding Light, written by Tom Verlaine and Richard Lloyd. Here we have our ballad, with gentle guitar arpeggios and even some piano to give the tune some weight. The bass is doing some interesting things as Fred gets space to roam and even brings a bit of an R&B feel to this track. There's a sad vibe to this so that even when the tension is raised up in the pre-chorus, it never quite reaches critical mass so that the release in the chorus is more of a quiet sigh than a gasp for breath. Richard plays the short but effective solo, and the final verses have this shimmering sheen to the guitars that play into the light from the darkness theme in the lyrics. On the surface, it appears to be a breakup song. He wakes up and it's like yesterday, reliving the end of the relationship. Tom likens it to facing a long night, and he wonders if he must belong to it. But the chorus provides hope that he'll find a light to guide him out of the darkness so he won't have to face the night. I like this track, but here's where Tom's vocal deficiencies really stand out for me. To my ears, he can't bring the right amount of tenderness to the vocals. His voice is too harsh, too ah, 
to carry this tune, and it's my least favorite. It is Aaron's Stinky Stinker. The penultimate track is Prove It, written by Tom Verlaine. This track is a real oddball on the record. It's quirky and has 60s surf music overtones, and lyrics that seem to be about a detective story. The verses very much sound like they could have come from the 60s, with the slowly strummed chords, and the bass sounds like it's been lifted straight from under the boardwalk. Instead of the hi-hat cymbal, Billy taps the rim of the snare, while still playing the snare on the backbeat, adding to the unusual vibe of the track. The chorus rocks harder and starts and stops for Tom to sing, Prove it! Just the facts! And confidential! And Tom plays a less jagged solo on this song than he normally does. The band even shows a sense of humor with the chirp-chirp birds whistling, and the whole track has a less serious, almost playful sound. Lyrically, Tom seems to be a detective interrogating a suspect and trying to gather the facts to make his case that he's been working on for a long time. This was the second single from the album that reached number 25 on the UK singles chart. This case is closed. And that brings us to the final track, Torn Curtain, written by Tom Verlaine. A long drum roll introduces a slow, plodding, moody tune that carries a lot of emotional weight in the playing and singing. There's a ton of dissonance in the guitars that's supposed to make you feel unsettled and uncomfortable, and in the chorus, Billy bashes the cymbals to keep jarring the listener. The pace is deliberately slowed down so that each section seems longer than it should be. You want to find some sort of relief that never comes. Tom seems to wrench the tones out of his guitar in the solo sections, like it's causing him pain to play them. Later in the track, there's some tinkling piano buried in the mix that adds to the pathos. I interpret these lyrics to be about an abusive relationship. Instead of peeking behind the curtain to see what's behind it, the curtain's torn from violence and pain, holding back the tears, rolling back the years. Heavy stuff, and it makes for a somber and sobering album closer, but it's very well done. I dig. Now that the track-by-track track is over, I'll go into my final thoughts and album rating. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0-5 to five system, with 5 being a favorite album of mine, all the way down to a 0, which is the worst of the worst. In the mid-1970s, television had become a major player in the New York City music scene. They were one of the main acts at the CBGB Music Club in Manhattan's East Village, which also was known for featuring such bands as The Ramones, Patti Smith, Blondie, Talking Heads. 
They turned down record deal offers from major labels, waiting until Elektra Records promised Tom Verlaine that he could produce a debut album as long as he got a well-known engineer to assist him. Tom chose Andy Johns, based on his work for the Rolling Stones' Goat's Head Soup album, and most of Marquee Moon was recorded live in the studio. Prior to those sessions, television had rehearsed four to six hours a day, six to seven days a week, so they knew these songs inside and out, often nailing them on record on the first take. At the time of the album's release, the punk explosion was right on the cusp, and television nominally got classified as punk, but this doesn't sound much like punk at all. It actually sounds more post-punk or alternative, with its arty and jazz influences, more Velvet Underground than the Sex Pistols. It's been said over and over that television and this album doesn't sound quite like anything else, and I'm on board with that. I can't think of many albums that this compares to. Their influence, however, is humongous. You can hear shades of this in everything from R.E.M. to Joy Division to early U2, and those artists have acknowledged their debt to television. They've become critical darlings, too. Fucking A, the critics fawn all over this album like it's the holy grail of guitar rock. I love this album, too, don't get me wrong, and I give Marquee Moon a four and a half. If you are a fan of post-punk, new wave, or alternative music, and don't know this band, give this album a listen, and probably a couple more listens until you get used to Tom's voice. I promise if you stick with it, you'll be rewarded. Television is the shit. We've got a five-star iTunes review coming from our very own super listener, Sam George, about our Misfits episode. It's titled, I Got Something to Say, and Sam writes, Yep, Metallica released Garage Days. Danzig released his first solo album featuring Chuck Biscuits. The Misfits were then a band that 15-year-old kids sought out. Five Feed the Flies stars. Thanks as always, Sam. And if you want to get your words heard on the podcast like Sam does almost weekly, give us an iTunes review. It also helps us out to get noticed in iTunes and by potential listeners, so we really do appreciate the reviews. And we sincerely thank all the listeners of the podcast out there. Pat yourselves on the back, because I can't. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, I'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact me directly, I can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you'd prefer to do it that way. And yes, I'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with me? Shoot me an email and we'll set it up. I'm always looking for co-pilots to host the show with me, and I would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. I'd love to hear from you. And lastly, here at R4, we thank you so much for giving this podcast a listen, and a massive thank you if you like and support the show. Take care, and I'll catch you later. So yeah, 
I had to do this solo show. I don't want to do it this way. I'd rather have Ray or Shannon or a guest co-pilot on with me. But what happens? I had this all set up. It was going to be a nice episode. Ray was coming over. We got a guest co-pilot lined up. And what the fuck happens? We get a massive snowstorm. Fucking horse shit. Maybe cancel the damn thing. So I had to whip up this podcast. I mean, I took my time. You know, I thought it was pretty good. But, you know, what the fuck, man? I didn't want to do this. Mother Nature, you can take it and shove it right up your 